Welcome, everybody, and thank you for tuning in. This is the Fantasy MLB Today podcast, which is brought to you by Sports Ethos. My name is Joe Orico, and you can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99. And you can also go ahead and follow the newly created Ethos Fantasy BB Twitter account, which is where I'll be posting other fantasy baseball content. Today, we're going to be going over some more players who have signed deals in free agency. And we're going to be discussing how their fantasy value has been impacted by these moves they have made in free agency. Most of the moves we're going to be looking at today happened before the lockout, but we're also going to be looking at one player who's just signed a deal recently. Yesterday, we looked at most of the big names that had signed since baseball had agreed to their season. But today, we're going to go over a few of the bigger ones that we have still not gone over. And we're going to start off with Javier Baez, who signed with the Detroit Tigers in a bit of a strange move in the same vein a little bit as the Chris Bryant to Colorado move. I don't really understand it. This one makes a little bit more sense than Bryant because the Tigers do have a bit of an up-and-coming team. They got Torkelson, Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, their two prospects who should be debuting this season to go along with a couple of other pieces who should put together an okay lineup. I don't think they're going to be fantastic by any means. Um, if Baez had stayed with the Mets, then that probably would have been where his greatest fantasy value would have been. Um, in Detroit, it's probably not going to be great for Javi. He's being picked around pick 70, which is okay, but I'm probably not going to be picking him around there just because we can expect some drop-off from Javi this year. He's moved to Comerica Park, which is an extremely hitter-friendly park with big dimensions. So those home run totals over the last few years, which have been, I'm going to exclude the shortened year, he had 31, 29, 34, 23. We're probably looking about 20 this year max from Javi. Just because the Comerica Park is very pitcher-friendly, and there's a lot of balls that are home runs in other parks that won't be homers in Comerica. So he will miss out a little bit there. And there's also the fact that his runs and his RBIs will be a bit harder to come by because of this lineup. It's 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 a very young lineup and it's a very inexperienced lineup playing in a pitcher-friendly park. So I don't have big expectations for Baez in Detroit. Not, not right away, maybe in a couple of years. We'll see his value be a little bit better than what it is right now. But for someone who's has a lot of value with bias tied to his home runs from short, he doesn't hit at a particularly high batting average. Now, he does drive in a decent amount of runs historically, but that, like I said, that should drop off. The home runs will almost certainly drop off, and so will the runs. So, I mean, at pick 70, I'm fading. I'm fading Javi there. Uh, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, but the shortstop position is just too deep to make any questionable moves, I think. So, I mean, he's about the 10th shortstop off the board at pick 68. And to segue into who we're going to talk about next, actually, Corey Seager is going about three picks earlier at pick 65. Now, between the two of them, I would much rather go for Corey Seager. There's a, still a little bit of that untapped potential. We've seen him play a full season, but it's been several years now. So we're still not sure exactly how great Corey Seager could be. And now he has moved to Texas, which granted was a downgrade from where he was with the Dodgers in terms of his 
uh, his teammates and their production. But the Rangers are looking at a pretty decent lineup this year. They brought in also Marcus Simeon, who we'll talk about. And, the, you know, with the emergence of Adolis Garcia, they have some, they have a good, a good mix of players there. They're not going to be an elite team, but there should be enough production in the middle of that lineup to justify Corey Seager going in that spot. I would, I, going back to bias for just a quick second, I would much rather go with Seager in that same kind of draft range than Baez just because of the better teammates in the better ballpark. So to finish with Javi, I'm going to fade him at his current draft pick. If he falls, if he falls into the nineties, maybe you could justify it because then shortstop does thin out a little bit, but there is value across the board at shortstop. Most teams are fielding a competitive shortstop, fantasy-wise. <clears throat> Sorry for the odd wording there. But I wouldn't I wouldn't jump at Javi. Now, for Corey Seager, he hasn't played a full Major League season since 2016 when he was 22 years old. Now, granted, he played 145 the next season, and he's played 134. So he's played most of seasons, but we haven't seen him reach that full season. So I'm, I'm a little skeptical just of, on the injury side a little bit because he's had some trouble staying healthy. But if he stays healthy and he plays a full season, Corey is someone who's, like I said, it's a little bit untapped. He's probably 30 home run range and close to 100 RBIs, and that batting average for his career is 297. So staying healthy you could get a huge bargain drafting Corey Seager around pick 65. As long as we don't have to worry about injuries or anything like that, you should be you should be safe drafting Corey Seager. And also his middle infield uh, partner now, Marcus Simeon, is someone you should also feel fairly comfortable taking. He's going around pick 32, so that is a little, little high. Uh, I wouldn't... I wouldn't, it's, it's tough to say really because he's coming off such an, an incredible year with the Blue Jays. He had 45 home runs, which was a record for second baseman. He drove in 102. He stole 15 bases, which was also a career high. So, you know, it was really, I'm not going to say an outlier because he had had a top three MVP finish a couple years prior, but he's num- his numbers improved significantly from that previous MVP caliber season. And he was playing on an elite, elite lineup in Toronto that he doesn't necessarily have with the Rangers. He still has some good production around him. But I would be a little worried about him repeating that. And at pick 32, to go in the third round, it seems a little bit high when you don't know exactly what you're going to be getting from him. I'm I'm a little cautious about him there. The second base shortstop dual eligibility is great. But... In that range, it just feels a little high, especially when a player switches teams. He's over 30 now. You have to really be careful. Again, I I talked about it a little bit yesterday, and I'll talk about it again today. But I really do believe that you have to look for trends, and you have to look for younger-ish players. So not that he's on the older side of things, but once you hit 30, you have to start looking for bits of drop-off, especially in the stolen base category. 
Now, there's a player we'll talk about a bit later who is past 30 and still excels in the stolen base category. But Marcus is someone who's, you know, that 15 steals is really valuable if he can bring that again. And, you know, he should be able to bring you anywhere between 8 and 12 steals, I would imagine, is very realistic to want out of him. The RBIs will go down. The runs will go down. Because 115 runs batting at the top of that Blue Jay lineup. I really doubt he'll be the leadoff hitter for Texas. I think they'll probably try and utilize him in more of a power role. So those runs will go down as he drops out of the middle of the lineup. The RBI will probably... I haven't projected it about 90. But even that, I'm not totally sold on. I'm not... I'm not drafting Marcus. Long story short, at pick 32, it seems a bit high to me. And there is more certainty around that same pick. So I'm not going to jump for someone in a new situation who's coming off an outlier season and where I'm just not totally sure exactly what I'm going to be getting back. I think I know what I'm going to be getting back. But he, again, is not somebody who has done this for his entire career. He has had two excellent seasons in his seven years of playing full-time. So, I mean, I'm, you're probably going to be okay taking him somewhere. If you get him in the 40s, maybe even if he drops close to pick 50, I don't think you'll probably see him there. But if you get him in more of that range, I'd feel more comfortable as opposed to pick 30-ish. I feel like that's a little high, and I feel like there's better value at that position and at other positions on the board around that pick that I would much rather go for as opposed to Semyon. Okay, our next player we'll talk about will be that over 30 quick guy, and that'll be Starling Marte, who signed with the New York Mets. He is in a great spot for his fantasy value. The Mets have redone their lineup. Um, They brought in his old teammate from Oakland, Mark Canna, as well, and Eduardo Escobar. They have rebuilt that team. I mean, the rotation specifically they have rebuilt, but that lineup should also benefit, especially if they get Robinson Cano back. I'm assuming Robinson Cano will be in that lineup. Uh, You should definitely figure that Francisco Lindor is going to turn it around from what he did last year. So I'm I'm pretty confident in Marte. The only problem, there's a couple of problems. He is, how old is Marte now? I believe 33 years old, 33. <clears throat> and the question is, will he be able to maintain the steals? And I'm thinking it's probably not very likely. He's coming off a season where he had 47 steals in 120 games, which is just absurd. It's a, it's a crazy high steal number. It puts you on pace for more than 60 steals. And he's always been quick, right? Marte has always been quick. But you have to wonder, as you turn 30, how many more years you have of sustaining that. So, will he steal some bases this year? Absolutely. He'll still be somewhat of a threat to steal bases. And I think you could probably chalk him up for 20 bases stolen in that range. Now, if he gets close to 50 again, I'd be really surprised as you start to get older players definitely tend to slow down on that. I mean, we saw Mike Trout stop stealing bases in his early 20s because he realized it just it's not sustainable to have a long career. So I think if Marte wants to stick around longer, and he will, 
I think you will have to slow down on the base stealing a little bit. And in terms of the other things for fantasy value, he's not a big home run guy. He's not a massive RBI guy. He hits for a high average and he should score a lot of runs. But he's going off the board at pick 25. And it could be totally disastrous pick for you if you pick him at 25 and the steals do drastically fall off. That would be that would be rough. At the turn of the second, third round, I mean, there will be people who take him as their second round pick. If he goes up from 25 to 23, that's a second round pick right there. And it could arguably be your first batter taken. And it just, it, it, the name, the value, it doesn't, it doesn't ring enough value for me that I'm willing to use a pick in the second or third round on him. He could be fantastic. And last year he was a category winner. And I know this phrase is tossed around a lot, win you the category by themselves. But he won you steals by himself down the stretch last year. Regardless of format, he was the steals are a crazy value, whether you're on ESPN or Yahoo or whatever league you play. And whether it's head-to-head or it's Roto, it's really hard to get that kind of steal production. But I don't think he will be able to keep it going. Now, I do expect him to fall a little bit as, uh, as draft season goes on. I don't think he'll go as high as he has been. I think he'll probably drop into the early 30s a little bit. So maybe some of you will be able to justify it to yourselves, picking him in the 30s. To me, there's too much risk associated with it as someone who is his age and who doesn't do too much else fantasy-wise. I mean, he doesn't drive in a crazy amount of runs. He doesn't really hit that many home runs. The batting average is great. And it is tough to find good, solid 300-level hitters on the waiver wire in a lot of leagues. So there is value in him, but it is risky value, and I would advise drafting with caution when it comes to Marte. Let's move on to Abisail Garcia, who signed with the Miami Marlins. And I I like the deal for Garcia. I'm not... I'm not crazy on him in terms of his value, but he is coming off a career year. He is coming off a 29 homer, 86 RBI season where he batted a respectable 262, not hurting you in that category really. So there is value. Now the Marlins lineup is is okay. I mean he's going to have Jorge Soler in there and Jesus Aguilar, so there will be. Uh, other power bats in there. So he should be okay in terms of his production and RBIs and runs. Um, it's just tough to, in the same vein as Semyon, when you're coming off a career year and you change teams, there's just too many variables going on for me in those kind of situations where maybe it was a good thing with the hitting coach you had going, or maybe it was the ballpark, or maybe it was another factor that you have now lost by changing destinations. I don't know exactly what will happen with Abisail Garcia. And it wasn't a crazy outlier. I mean, he'd had 80 RBIs before. He'd hit 20 home runs before. So 29 and 86 isn't crazy to the point where you'd have to say, no, he's never going to do this again. He could do this again. He is 30 now. So, I mean, this is probably, if he's going to have a great season again, it's probably going to be not much better than he had last year. It'd probably be similar but he was batting on a pretty solid Brewers team last year, a very competitive Brewers team. So maybe the RBI does go down a bit. It's probably safe to say it will from 86. But 
but I think you can bank on him for in that 70 range to go along with 20 home runs. He's going to pick 175. So as a late round asset, that could be really valuable. If you're getting a guy who can go for 20 to 25 home runs and 70-ish RBIs, close to pick 200, I mean, that's that's pretty good value. And I talked about it yesterday, and I'll, I'll keep going on about it. You look for value down the board. You look for players whose skill sets you can possibly pass on early in the draft because there are similar skill sets available down the draft. And that is a huge thing for me. That's a massive thing across all fantasy sports is finding value down the draft. You need to not expend draft capital on players who have replaceable production in later rounds. That is a huge, huge thing for me. And a player like this, who is not a very sexy player, you know, he's not he's played for Milwaukee and the White Sox and the Tigers a year with Tampa. He's not someone who's a household name and he's not someone who a lot of people are going to be looking to draft. So you might be able to get him in that 200, around 200 range and really get a decent bargain. So I'd, I'd look out for Abysale. I think he's he could do what he did last year again pretty easily. He's a career 270 hitter. Now, while there'll probably be a touch of drop-off, he's coming from a point last year where he didn't even play every game. He missed 25 games or so. So there is room for him to have a repeat of what he did last year, assuming he stays healthy and assuming that the team is not a total train wreck, which is not out of the realm of possibility with the Marlins. Let's go to our next player we'll be talking about, which is Nelson Cruz, who signed recently with the Washington Nationals. He's going up the board around pick 150, which is not bad. It's probably about right. Now, Nelson Cruz has been around a long time, and he's past the age of 40, and he was starting to decline after he was traded to the Rays last season. He started off fantastic with Minnesota, but once he was traded to Tampa, there was some drop-off. So, I mean, you have to fear further drop-off this year at his age. But he has been someone who has denied father time for quite some time. I mean, he didn't hit 40 home runs in a season until he was 33. And pretty much every year since then, not pretty much, every year since then, he has been a fantasy asset. And he actually stole three bases last year somehow, adding a little bit of value in that category. But every year, pretty much, he's been 40 home runs and 100 RBIs. Now, he's not batting in a great lineup in uh, in Washington. It's definitely not what it was a couple of years ago. But he could still have some decent value. He's never going to have to play the field. I mean, I think the Rays played him at first once or twice last year just for, I don't know, for a laugh maybe. Just <laughs> have him, I guess, be a little more versatile. But, I mean, he played one game at first, so I don't really know why he did that. He's probably not going to play the field again in his career unless there's some emergency. So you don't have to worry about him getting hurt unless it happens while he's batting, which is possible, especially at his age. But I think it's, again, in terms of value, I'd pick 150-ish. and People may even fade at 150 just because they're worried about the decline from last season. So you may be able to get a guy close to 200 who has that 30 homer, 80-some-odd RBI potential. And that's massive if you can get him that low. And he is able to sustain what he's done. Now, there could be a precipitous fall off. And he could have, you know, 16 home runs and 50 RBIs. And it would be no good for anybody. 
The other downside possibility there, not possibility, it is a downside, is that he only has utility slash designated hitter eligibility. So you can't slot him in in multiple positions. He is always going to be in your utility slot, which is a very valuable spot to have, I think, because, you know, those are where you slot the guy in that are kind of your extra guy for the day. If you can't fit them in somewhere else, you fit them in utility. But Nelson always has to be fitted in your utility slot when he's playing. So I find that spot to be really valuable just because you can slot in anybody there. It's not, there's not too much reasoning behind it other than the fact that versatility positional versatility is really important so that's why when i mentioned chris bryant yesterday something that gives him a little bit of value back where he might have lost some is the fact that he can play first and third in the outfield positions with cruz you just having a utility slot so that is definitely a detriment to your team it doesn't necessarily have to be but it will be it will be a detriment because you will be trying to find those players that you can slot in at a on a weaker position. Maybe you have a couple of shortstops you drafted and you want to stick one at utility, but you have Nelson Cruz, so you can't, right? So there's things like that you need to consider if you're going to draft him that I can't stick this guy in the outfield. He can't play the outfield anymore. And that's really important to remember. It is really important to keep in mind that you have to put him in one spot in particular. And I think that's a good time to segue to the next player that I'm going to be talking about who did just sign a new deal with their old team, mind you. So there will be a bit of a difference with this player because they didn't change teams. But I'm going to be talking about Chris Taylor for the Los Angeles Dodgers, who has potential to be a massive steal at pick 134. He, It's hard to even say he's going off the board as whatever number outfielder or infielder because he has eligibility at literally every position other than first base and catcher. And he's going off the board 134th overall, and he has potential to be a massive steal at 134. If he's able to do what he did last year and maybe bring his average up a little bit, he has potential to be a, a top 70 guy, a top, I think honestly between 60 and 80 is, is really doable for him batting in that lineup because if he can maintain that 90-run, 20-homer, 70-RBI range while still stealing 13 bases in that range, if he can just get his batting average up a little bit, then he can easily be a massive steal from where he's being drafted. There's not really much concern for me with Taylor. He can play, like I said, everywhere on the field. He's got the power. He's hit over 20 home runs a couple different times. And he's stolen in the past 17 bases. He stole 13 last year. And he's 30 years old, so you're not going to see too much of a jump from that most likely. But I think it's realistic to expect around 10 stolen bases from him again. So I don't see much, if any, risk with drafting Taylor in that range, especially with that potential and that eligibility. If he can keep the average up. That's really all that I'm... And it's not even that bad. It was 254 last year, 260 for the career. If he can stay in that 270-ish range, he has a, a lot of value. And he's someone that's... I want to say must-draft. There's no one really that must-draft anywhere in the draft. But at that pick, that's a great value. That's a value that's you're not going to really find at that point. In terms of being able to play everywhere... 
that's where you're not you're not really find that anywhere at all. There's a couple of players like Chris Bryant and, and Taylor who can play a lot of positions, but there there's not many of them. If you find one at a reasonable price, it's worth jumping on. It's absolutely worth jumping on. And at 134, I'm taking the chance there if I get him in that range. And I may even jump up a little bit to take Chris Taylor, if I'm being honest with you. If I anywhere after pick 100 or so seems fairly reasonable. I know it's kind of crowded in the outfield, but it's, it all goes back to the positional eligibility. And that's what really, really differentiates him between someone like him and a Nelson Cruz. I know they're very different players, but just the fact that you can play everywhere, it's, it can't be overstated how valuable that is. The vast majority of players play one, maybe two positions, fantasy-wise. So if you're playing seven, six, like that's that's really valuable. And that's, I, I, I know I'm stressing this point a lot, but it's not something that you can really overstress. If you can mix guys around in your lineup, you know, they're off days, you can stick them here at second, you can stick them in left. You can play short. You can play right. Like that's 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 a serious commodity to have in fantasy, in fantasy baseball. It's something that needs to be cherished, and it's something that you need to really look at when you're when you're building your teams. Okay, we're going to talk about one more player for today, and that is Jorge Soler, who signed with the Miami Marlins, and he's going off the board at pick one seventy six, which you know, that's pretty low. That's for someone who has hit, I think it was 48 home runs a couple years removed. Yeah, 48 home runs, and he had 27 last year. So you're looking, he could definitely go somewhere in that same range again. Somewhere between 27 and 50, which I know it's a big range, but it's you're in a good range, especially drafting him close to pick 200. If you're drafting close to pick 200 and there's a guy... I touched on this a little bit with Kyle Schorber yesterday. If there's a guy with 40 home run potential sitting there after pick 100, that's 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 pretty damn good. I mean, you're not going to find that as you keep going down. 176 for Soler is a reasonable gamble to take because he's in a... Uh, I'm going to say gamble because he's in a new situation. But, I mean, he was electric in the postseason last year. He was the World Series MVP, and he had a couple of massive home runs that really, really pushed them. He was a fantastic depth piece for that Atlanta team. It was a fantastic acquisition at the deadline. He had really looked awful in Kansas City these last year and a half, two years, with his batting average really going down. So it looked like he fixed something once he got to Atlanta. He went deep 14 times in 55 regular season games after going deep 13 times in 94 games with the Royals. So he figured something out with Atlanta and certainly in the postseason. So, I mean, if you're able to get him in that 200 pick range, 178 is where he's going. 176, sorry. 176 is where he's going. If you're able to get him anywhere in that range, that's really reasonable for someone with that kind of upside. Now, at that point in the draft, you're looking to just boost certain categories. So you'll look at speed specialists, perhaps. I mean, you could go for a balanced approach, but usually once you get to that point, you're looking at your categories and you're saying, where am I lacking? 
where am I looking to make up? So if you're, you've drafted a, a speed heavy team with uh, a lot of pitchers, you drafted a speed heavy team and you're focusing on stolen bases and strikeouts and you're getting down to this pick and you're thinking, I have no power. There's no one on my team that can hit home runs. Very few um, big home run potential guys. Then he's someone that I would look at. You know, he's sitting there late in the draft because that is pretty late in the draft. And, you know, it's someone that's probably not going to hurt you. He's probably going to give you in that 25 home run range. The RBIs have fluctuated drastically with Soler, but the home runs alone should be enough to give him value in that range, especially if he keeps the average around what it was with Atlanta which was 270 as opposed to what it had been with Kansas City the last couple of years, which was in like the 230, 240-ish range going back to about 2019 when he had that elite season. So if he keeps the batting average up, as long as it's not below the Mendoza line like it was with, with Kansas City, he should have value. He should be someone that will be a good plug-in player later in the draft to fix Specifically, I'm thinking in situations where you've kind of you've been lax with your home run uh, draft picks, and you can make up for that with Solaire, and he's not going to break the bank for you. So it's someone to definitely keep in mind. So uh, we'll pretty much wrap us up for today. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody who did tune in yesterday and who has tuned in today and subscribed and downloaded to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify that everybody who does that, that is greatly appreciated as we try and grow our show here. Um, We're going to be going into some pitchers tomorrow who signed in free agency. So we're going to be going into some Max Scherzer talk. We will be going into Kevin Gosman. We will be talking about Robbie Ray. There'll be a few pitchers. We'll talk about all the big name pitchers tomorrow that have signed and maybe we'll look and see if there's anybody that gets traded overnight. There's still a couple of uh, Oakland pitchers who may get traded and there's a couple that already were traded. So maybe we'll talk about Chris Bassett as well. It won't be strictly free agents, but we'll just talk about uh, new homes. Be a better name for it. Probably a new home show. We talk about different value now that players are in different locations and with pitchers, it doesn't fluctuate as much as it does with batters because they pretty much do their thing on their own and they're not impacted so much by their teammates. Now that defense can, can hurt them in the ERA and the run departments has the potential to, and it can also hurt them in the win loss department, depending on how your league scores that. So there will be some stuff to get into in terms of pitching, but we've pretty much talked about all of the major bats now. Um, if there's any trades or anything that happens, we'll talk. I mean, if there is a Jose Ramirez trade that they've talked about a little bit, then we'll talk about that. I'm not expecting that to happen, but if it does happen, we will touch on it. But scheduled as of right now is we will talk about pitchers tomorrow, and then after that we'll move on to position-by-position position breakdown as we head into the regular season. We still have a couple of weeks, so I should be able to do uh, one show for each position. We might group um, the pitchers together. We'll see. We'll see how we are for timing. But I would really like to thank everybody who has listened to this show and who has followed me on Twitter and subscribed to the podcast. It means a lot as we try and build ourselves up here. Um, 
build out the sports ethos name into the baseball sector. So really exciting stuff for us. And I really appreciate all the support. So I'd like to thank you one last time for tuning in today. My name is Joe Orico, and you can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99. And you can also go ahead and follow the Sports Ethos Fantasy Baseball Twitter, which is EthosFantasyBB. Guys, thank you so much. Everybody have a great Tuesday.